Welcome to the BT Focus podcast dedicated to the behavior technician experience and the delivery of ABA services. Hello and welcome to a special RBT Taskless edition of the BT Focus podcast. I'm Brian Kaminsky and I'm joined today by a special guest, Ian McGarvey. Ian, welcome. Good morning, Brian. All right. Well, let's jump right in. And for those that are following along, I am basing this discussion off of the second edition RBT task list. So I would like to just begin with a you know introductory comment from the, the task list itself. So the BACB's registered behavior technician task list includes the primary tasks that are likely to be performed by behavior technicians with some, but not necessarily all clients. It is at the discretion of an RBD supervisor to determine any activities outside of this task list that a behavior technician is competent to perform as a behavior technician. The RBT task list content serves as the basis for the RBT training requirement and the RBT examination. The task list is organized into the following primary content areas, measurement, assessment, skill acquisition, behavior reduction, documentation and reporting, and professional conduct and scope of practice. All right. So with all that being said, we are going to start our discussion on uh, task list item A, measurement. And as it states, some of these are going to be more terms and definitions. Some are going to be more concepts. And some are going to be more just related to job responsibilities and how they can you know, best perform in the field in service of our clients. So the first one is in line with that. A1, prepare for data collection. All right. So um, a great resource that I'd recommend and one that we're going to be pulling from uh, this morning is a text by Jonathan Tarbox, which is training manual for behavior technicians working with individuals with autism. Excellent text because it goes through each task list item by item with some outstanding examples, great material that you can pull from. And here are just a couple of recommendations for this item is how you can best prepare for data collection. This is really related to how can you maximize your, your time with your client and, and what are the specific things you can do leading up to sessions so that you can jump right in and maximize that instructional time. Really basic things, consulting your BIP to see what are the programs that you're going to be running that day. Are there any special materials that you need to have set beside? Making sure that you have all the necessary materials. So you're using an iPad for data collection. Make sure that bad boy's charged. Right? Make sure that you got a you know, secure Wi-Fi network established. All of those really basic things. Making sure you have all the necessary reinforcers for your client so that you have a really engaging session and really just going in with a game plan of what are the priorities for today? How should I you know, best pace myself so that we are making the most of our learning opportunities? And really just going in with a plan so that you can make the most of that time. So Ian, do you have any advice about how our future RBTs can best prepare for their session to maximize their time? I think the last piece you just said there, Brian, really hits home. And that is having a plan for your day. I think it's really easy to start your day with your client and kind of just wing things. But, you know, ultimately, and I think back to Dr. Linda LeBlanc's work that that she has shared with us in the past about 
how much easier you make it on yourself when you aren't worrying or having to rely on thinking about what you're going to do next. If you've already got that mapped out, whether it's written down or on your phone or however you want to go about doing that, it, it takes a little bit of weight off of your brain where you can now focus that time and energy to the actual implementation and working with the client rather than having to focus on what am I going to do? Instead, you can focus on what I'm doing. Um, helps you be there more in the moment for sure. So I think it's easier said than done with a new client, but once you've worked with a client for a period of time and you client well and know the reinforcers you're likely going to be working with and likely know the challenging behaviors you might see during session and know the programs that you're going to be working on, you're able to build a routine. And I can look back to my days as a technician and just think how once I got settled in with a client, how much easier it was when I had that routine and I knew exactly how I was going to do things on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, really well said, Ian. I think going in with a plan and, and establishing that routine is a huge benefit and, and one that truly takes time to develop. You know, I think that was a, a skill set that I was able to acquire over time as I've gotten to know my, my clients more, my programs more, and you can, you know, be able to say, oh, I, I know that when we start our morning, we're going to be in this environment. And these are the programs that are going to be best served. We're going to be working on circle time. We can be working on different group instruction activities and peer play. And, and then, okay, now we're going to transition to more table time. We're going to work on a lot of our discrete trial instruction and much more of our multiple exemplar training, all those sort of things. So as you get to know your client more, as you get to know the programming more, you can really kind of map out your day. Um, and to your point, you know, that the better you can be prepared going into it, the more that you can get out of it. So and I think also the more prepared you are, the more confident you'll be when curveballs get thrown your way. Oh, yeah. Um, because, you know, working with children with autism, we know that we can map things out as best as we want on a day-to-day -day basis, but things are going to happen that we don't expect, both positively and negatively. There may be times where you decide that the child should have earned extra reinforcement for something they did that day, or a problem behavior is exhibited that you weren't expecting or hadn't occurred before. Um, I think, again, when you have a plan and when, when you have things mapped out, when those things do come up, I think it's, they're just more, they're, they're easier to deal with. Yeah, um, absolutely. One other thought that just came to mind as well is just the role that our RBTs can play alongside their BCBAs really to prioritize goals. Cause I, I think there's often going to be the times where, and we got a lot of programs we're working on right now. Like, what should we hit first, right? What are going to be like the what's our, our list of priorities in terms of addressing these skills? When and where should I be working on these programs? Just so, you know, there's not that one or two program that just, oh, man, we, it seems to be still lingering around. We, we really want to knock this out. Um, so really having a good sense of priorities to your point where, you know, if there's a day where things kind of go a little bit wonky, right? Where should we be focusing our time and energy so that we're working on the skills um, that are going to be most meaningful for our clients? Fantastic. All right. Well, that's A1, prepare for data collection. Now we're going to move on to A2, implement continuous measurement procedures. So for example, frequency and duration. So, so now we're, we're really getting into the meat, meat and potatoes, right, of, of some of the core responsibilities of our behavior technicians and RBTs, which is data collection. There's a great quote that I love that says, if I'm paraphrasing, um, without data, we're just another person with an opinion, 
right? <laughs> so, so the role of our RBTs is to take excellent data so that it can inform the decisions we're making as a team. And continuous measurement procedures is an example of one subset of data collection where it's just as it sounds. We're taking data continuously, meaning we're recording for each instant of that behavior. All right. So there's a couple of different types of continuous measurement procedures. I thought what we could do first is just start off with some basic terms and definitions. Then we can move into some examples of when we might apply them and, and really the, the relevance to practice. And then we're going to finish with some actual uh, test prep scenario-based discussions as well. So you can see like, you know, what would it look like on a, on a you know, multiple choice exam where I have to pull out these concepts as well. All right. So let's start off just with some basic terms and definitions. Um, uh, another just, you know, shameless resource plug. Um, I'm, I'm pulling these from our, the Cooper book. Coop, Cooper, Heron, and Heward. Oh, That's yeah. Right. All right. So the white book, right? The, white so book, the Bible, the ABA yeah. Bible, as it's called. <laughs> you know, I, it's funny you say that because I actually think they're in the newer copies of the Cooper book. There is a spot where it actually references itself as the white book. Absolutely. Yeah. So just like, you know, the white album by the Beatles was this like this iconic contribution to uh, to pop culture. You know, the, the white book is kind of that sort of seminal text for, for behavior analysis as a whole. And, uh, and ironically, the newer copies of the book are no longer white. But that's just what it's known as. I think for me, for the remainder of my career, my lifetime, it will always be the white book. So if you uh, say that people, people know what it is. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So this is an outstanding just source material. Usually the first source that I go to and, you know, something that I need to get brushed up on or, or just uh, review some terms or some specific procedures. Uh, it's an outstanding book just to have as your you know desk reference guide. Um, it will not lead you astray. So um, let's go through a couple of those definitions for continuous measurement. The first one, uh, frequency, also known as count. All that's referring to is the number of responses that occur during an observation period, right? Pretty simple. It's a count. Did it occur? Did it not occur? And we're counting or tallying each instance that it occurs. So if I see it and it happens, we're counting it. All right. Now, moving on to rate or frequency is the ratio of count per observation period. It is often expressed as count per standard unit of time. So um, with rate, all that we're doing is we're taking a a frequency, a count, and we're dividing it by the amount of time. And and that amount of time could be whatever unit you want. It could be the number of behaviors per session or per hour or per minute. And what's particularly helpful about rate is it allows us to make comparisons over periods of time that are not the same. So so Ian, I'm not sure uh, if you have any good examples for rate. One that comes to mind for me is in working with a client on a particular uh, skill. Maybe we're working on communication training, right? You know, sign language. Yeah. And on Mondays, we have a session for four hours. And on Tuesdays, we have session for two hours. And as a behavior analyst, behavior analyst if I'm looking at the data and it's just frequency, I might see, oh, wow, we had... 40 signs on Monday and 20 on Tuesday. What happened? <laughs> right? And the answer is, you know, nothing. Actually, the, the rate was the same, right? Uh, but the, the amount of time was was different. So um, 
Do you have any, any advice or um, suggestions when it comes to that frequency or, or rate um, data collection modes? Well, you know, the example you gave, I was almost thinking the opposite. Mm. You know, there are days where we sometimes will have clients who have the same number of, of say, said behaviors that you're measuring, but the time's not the same. So, you know, on a graph, like you said, where the frequency may look, you know, identical, it may not be truly representative of what's happening because the time may have not been the same. Maybe one day they only had half the hours. So, um, you know, just in general, again, knowing the timepiece is beneficial. Um, and communication between RBT and BCBA is where this, it becomes very important in this case. I know we're going to talk about relevance to practice um, here in a little bit, but that kind of falls into the relevance piece of that communication has to be there between the RBT and the BCBA, um, especially when you experience a rate of behavior that is not typical for the client, whatever, you know, whether it's a behavior that we're trying to increase or decrease. So, yeah. Well said, or, or been in situ situations where maybe you work with a family where there's two therapists, right? So having equal comparisons um, for that data to make meaningful decisions is paramount, right? Because if, if one therapist is working with a child in, in a particular environment and their session times are, are more or less than the other one, you know, you, you don't want to make treatment decisions that are, um, you know, not fully representative of the data. So we'll talk about uh, something called artifact in a little bit about how, you know, where the, the outcomes of the data may not be totally representative of what's happening based on the way it was collected. Yep. So, awesome. All right. So that's a frequency or tally or count and, and rate, which is frequency uh, divided by time. Um, a couple other ones that are continuous measurement is duration, right? So duration is the amount of time which a behavior occurs. So having that stopwatch or that, you know, clock app um, open and ready, measuring the amount of time um, is a really, it's an it's important mode of data collection because not all behavior, you know, is, is the same, right? You could say, oh, we had two instances of, you know, problem behavior um, today and we had two yesterday, but what if, Yesterday, that behavior lasted for 45 minutes, and today it lasted for five, right? So going by tally alone or frequency alone, again, wouldn't told, tell the full story. Writing that, that time dimension is a, another huge way that we can provide you know, more insight into that behavior as it occurs. Right. Yeah. And, and I think um, the way you just put it really signifies the importance of the RBT role. Mm -hmm. um, we as the BCBAs are not there to see everything that occurs. And we have to rely on what the RBT tells us. And just like you said, if I look at a sheet of paper and I see some tallies, I'm not going to think anything further past that. Obviously, I'm going to ask questions. We're BCBAs. We know to do that. But if I see you know, the duration of these things, that just paints such a different picture than what would be painted if I just see tallies on a sheet. Um, so. Very important. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's really helpful to have that data, especially I think of like times like early in my career as a behavior technician and, um, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing, you know, maybe some of these challenging behaviors for the first time. And, you know, my BCBA will say, don't worry, like it's going to get better, right? Like just trust us, like the data will, will show us like 
this behavior in the moment, which feels, you know, so intense and so overwhelming, like we're going to see over time, if we're consistent, we're going to see that it decreases. And, and on a day by day level, like maybe those, you know, fine tuned changes aren't as pronounced, but if you look at a graph and you can say, oh, wow, like last week we were averaging challenging behavior for 30 minutes a session. Now we're down to, to 20 minutes a session, right? And and that's a 30% decrease in, in that behavior. So to see that those trends in the data, um, you know, really can be reinforcing as RBTs because it just shows the impact that we're having. Um, so uh, I, I think that that's a, an important thing to remember as well. All right. So as we move along, a couple other continuous measurement types. So we just talked about duration or the amount of time. Um, another one is latency. All right. And so latency is going to be the amount of time between some sort of stimulus and the onset of that behavior. So an example I always love to give for latency is you're, you're sitting at a red light and the red light switches from red to green. And the amount of time between that light switching to green and you pressing the gas pedal is the latency, right? So Ian, do you have any other good examples that you like to pull from for latency? Well, just on that, I was just, I don't know why this popped into my head so quickly, but if you don't have a good latency from red light to green light, you probably shouldn't get into drag racing. <laughs> just throwing that out there. No, yeah, but, so but, like, uh, <laughs> Formula One racers have like, just like outstanding latency, right? When it comes I'm sure. To I'm sure. I mean, you have to, but, uh, um, you know, thinking of in the field, the biggest time I think as an RBT, you're going to look at latency is the time between the presentation of a task demand and the response from the client, um, particularly looking in, in two, two uh, facets in my mind. One, if you're working with a client who sometimes engages in some task refusal behavior, um, that might be a time where we're looking at measuring the latency of responding. The other thing too, in general, in discrete trial training, um, we want fast, fluent responding from clients, and that really shows us whether or not a, a child really understands something. We want to see that child responding within a, a matter of seconds, and um, the shorter the latency is between a a task and a response, the more confident we can be that that skill is really ingrained into that child's brain, that they really understand that when this is being asked of them and they can, they can do it so quickly, they really are fluent in that skill. Absolutely. Yeah. So fluent responding, you know, correct, but also with speed, right? So we, we want them to be able to emit those behaviors at a really meaningful rate so that not only are they responding correctly, but it's with that speed dimension as well. So yeah, the shorter the latency, the more fluent that behavior is. And I think that latency, it ties in really closely to the next mode of data collection, which is inner response time. And inner response time is the amount of time that elapses between two consecutive instances of response class. So the amount of time between two behaviors, right? So latency is the amount of time from that initial signal to the first behavior. Inner response time is the amount of time between one instance of behavior and the next instance of behavior. So they're closely related. They're both, you know, temporally related, we could say, between responses. But those two different stopping points are, are going to be where they, they differ. Yeah. And um, as far as in response time being an importance, you know, it, it, from, from an outsider looking in, one might kind of be skeptical as well, why is this an important thing? But 
in response time helps the BCBA make decisions on when implementing interventions, setting what that initial baseline or excuse me, but that the, the initial time might be. So just an example, if a child is engaging in certain problem behavior and we take the inner response time, we're going to use that inner response time to determine what an appropriate inter- interval would be to begin measuring when we implement an intervention. So um, important, important information for the BCBA to know when it's being asked of the RBT. So Absolutely. What is the the correct amount of a response that we should ask of that client in that moment? What what should our work intervals look like? What should our our goals be for each you know time that they're you know working on some instructional requests? So um, yeah, I, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to the role that latency and inner response time come with you know discrete trial instruction and responding fluently. And I think that those two pieces, I mean, talk about like a prime test sort of question, right? Being able to, to tease out the difference between those two, I, I think is a, is a great skill to have. Yep. Um, so that being said, Ian, um, what do you think about we do some some test prep questions right now? How's that sound? Are you asking me the questions? Am I going to have to answer them? Because I'm feeling a little on the spot, Brian. I'm putting you on the spot, man. Oh, We're going to go through it together. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I think you're up for the task. We'll, we'll work through it together. So we're going to go through, and this, these are all for taskless item A2. First question, Ian. All right. If you were to be told to record the amount of time that Brian was out of his seat during his third time watching through the office during quarantine, amount of time he's out of his seat, um, then you're using what type of data collection procedure? Continuous measurement, discontinuous measurement, Partial interval recording or Dunder Mifflin recording? Well, first thing I would say is, is if you're having trouble staying in your seat watching The Office, you might need to pick a new show. <laughs> I can but, assure you that wouldn't be a problem for me. But, well, yeah. I, I'll tell you, I, I don't think I'd be getting up out of my seat. I'm a big fan of The Office. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, so um, four choices there. And first thing I want to point out, and we haven't gotten into into uh, the third part of, of this A3, which is discontinuous measurement. But f- just one thing I want to preface, and it kind of goes back, maybe kind of ties back into relevance of practice, and that is, Continuous measurement is the gold standard when we're talking about continuous versus discontinuous. Yes. Um, Continuous is always going to be your more accurate way of measuring things. And realistically, as an RBT, unless you've been told to measure something using discontinuous measurement, you're typically always going to be using continuous measurement. Um, So in this case, A, continuous measurement would be my, my response. You got it. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Yeah. Looking forward ahead a little bit to our our next item, which is discontinuous measurement. You're absolutely right. Recognizing, however, there are trade-offs, right? So while continuous measurement is going to be your most accurate, it's also going to take the most resources and time to be able to implement. So we're going to talk about some scenarios. Yeah. That would, would be most relevant for that. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and it's not always possible to take continuous measurement. And that's why we fortunately do have these alternative measures when necessary. Totally. And I can relate to that more and more each day as a parent with three little kids. If you were to hand me a data sheet to not, you know, right now and say, hey, buddy, you're going to take some continuous measurement all day on the twins and your little guy. I say, hey, bud, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. So good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, all right. Well done, Ian. You're one for one. All right. Moving right ahead. Question number two. How long the behavior happens for each time it occurs is considered the A, magnitude, B, duration, C, rate, or D, variable. How long the behavior happens each time it occurs? 
Um, so again, this would be a, an example of continuous measurement, which I guess is the theme. So I guess that maybe is an obvious uh, answer, but I'm going to go with duration. Um, you got it. You got it. Exactly. Yep. And one, here's one maybe like pro tip, one piece of advice for people that are preparing for the exam. I think one common strategy that you'll see in these sort of tests are times where you're given a bunch of information that's actually not relevant to the question, right? Yep. So you might be given this behavior happens this amount of time with this amount of time between responses. And on Tuesday, this happens. And then they ask a simple question like, you know, what was the duration? And it's just looking at how long did the behavior occur, right? So you're going to get a lot of just sort of distractor information. And you just have to zero on the things that are going to be most relevant to the question itself, right? Yep. Good, good piece of advice for sure. Definitely, definitely. And so let's talk about the real quickly, the things that are incorrect. So magnitude, we didn't talk about magnitude yet. That's just looking at the force of a certain response, right? So um, it's a little bit harder to measure in session. However, there are ways to measure magnitude, um, but that's looking at kind of that force dimension. So uh, maybe you're training as a boxer, right? And the magnitude of each punch in the punching bag, there's like actually a lot of cool <laughs> fitness apps out there. I'm sure for that now that can tell you the actual force that you're generating, but that's what magnitude is referring to. Rate, of course, we talked about that. That's frequency over time. And then variable, we'll get into variable later on when we talk about schedules of reinforcement, but um, that's going to be something we'll get back to in the future. All right, Ian, two for two. Keep two moving. Two. All right. Next question. When larger periods of time are broken up into smaller units of time, we call them A, samples, B, blocks, C, intervals, or four, none of the above. Um, probably going to get more into this again in the next section in A3, discontinuous measurement. Um, but the answer would be intervals. C, intervals. Yep, absolutely. So we're going to circle back to this one um, very shortly. So that is correct. Uh, and again, continuous measurement, recording every instance that's occurring. Um, all right, moving on. All right, for next question, for therapy sessions of unequal length, which measurement procedure would most clearly ref reflect the target behavior? Is it A, duration, B, frequency, C, rate, or D, none of the above? So you did, a, you did point this out uh, earlier when you were speaking to this term, and so the answer would be rate. Very good, Ian. You got it. You got it. So this allows us to standardize the the, the behavior of interest, right? Because time is the same. Um, so, well done. Hey, Ian, you know what? You just survived. Taskless A2, 100%. Well done, my friend. Not going to lie. I was a little nervous. <laughs> well, you, you knocked it out of the parts. So we just finished up A2 of the second edition RBT Taskless. Ian, thanks for joining us today. Uh, be sure to tune back in for the rest of our measurement section as we move through each item of the Taskless. And A, uh, hey Ian, any uh, parting words of advice for folks uh, tuning in today? RBTs out there or future RBTs, just continue the great work you're doing. You are the front line of what we do. Um, and without you guys, we wouldn't be here. So just keep up the fantastic work that you do. Amen. Well said. All right. Thank you so much, Ian. We'll see you next time. Have a good one, Brian.
Hi, BT Focus listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Now, we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at our Google Voice account at 248-215-2464 if you have any thoughts, ideas, or questions. You may even hear them on the air. Or drop us a message at btfocus at centriahealthcare.com. Until next time.